episode 178 of Friends of Film. We're here bringing the latest movie news and review the biggest new release, which this week is X-Men Dark Phoenix. As always, I'm your host, Cooper Hood, once again joined by Josh Daly. Hello, everybody. Hello, Cooper. Hello. And hello to everyone out there. I know I've already said that before, <laughs> but I'd like to say it again just because you are the number one. You're why we do this. That's right. Um... Cooper, I've been watching the Chernobyl, Chernobyl, mm-hmm. Chernobyl, Chernobyl, Chernobyl. Oh yes, you said I think, it. I think it's Chernobyl. Yes, you said it how they say it. Oh, is that wrong? No, <laughs> and they being the people that know how to speak like the English <laughs> language. Okay. And let me just say this: it is very good, super good. So much so that Stellan Skarsgård and Jared Harris are definitely getting Emmys for best limited run series or something like that. Okay. One hundred percent. I believe you. They're the only people in that show, though. That's it? That's it. There's no other cast members? Just there are a two other man cast show? members, but I don't know who they are yet. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'll probably like act like you all should have known them before right. a week or two. In two years, and they're cast like a Marvel movie or something. Mm-hmm. like, I've been on this train for two years. <laughs> you mean like, which usually means someone, and that annoys me so much. I'm like, I've been saying they were great. And then like, they'll dig through their tweets and be like, this person playing this lady is good. No right. mention their name, <laughs> but then they'll like dredge it up and be like, I, I knew Told it you. all along yeah. the best performer ever. And he'd be like, I don't know if that makes you that. I mean, like you got to have some kind of evidence other than like one spur of the moment tweet. That's right, too like, easy. Like there was uh there was somebody, I don't even know his name anymore. That's how big of an impression he left on me. Um, but there was somebody in what was the Ridley Scott's uh, movie that they reshot all the money in the world. Yes. But like one of the, the kidnappers in that movie, I thought he was really good. And I mm-hmm. like, dedicate i think like a whole paragraph in our review to oh, him because yes. i was like he's really good at this movie and i thought like oh this guy's gonna break out he's gonna do big things i've heard anything about his career he's probably doing other smaller things uh but i thought for sure he was gonna be on the cusp of like he's gonna be in this next big blockbuster he's gonna be cast here and mm-hmm. nothing and you know um, i'm sorry about that or, sir is he romaine duris that's correct yeah he i haven't seen him in anything but is he has he done anything since? Are you on his IMDb? I'm page? on his IMDb page right now, which may or may not be a hundred percent accurate or updated. Um, but according to his IMDb page, um, looks like he's done absolutely nothing because it won't load. Oh, okay. But anyway, Emily Watson is terrific in Chernobyl. Okay, did I say that right? Yeah. Anyway, yeah, it was fantastic. Um, but we are a movie podcast, and though we aren't talking about movies at the moment, if you'd like to see where we talk about movies, which is mostly on Twitter, you can follow us there at friends and film. Um, but really, if you want to know our thoughts on movies and so much more, you can get our podcasts on Apple podcasts, Google podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher, and basically anywhere podcasts can be found. But most importantly on Apple podcasts, please rate and review us. That'll ultimately help rank us. And then we can find more friends of the show. And it's officially Apple Podcast now, like for good now. Yes. Because iTunes itself is no more. They scrubbed it. It just went boop. And then the, it'll be called like Mac Media or something like that. Okay. So that's how it'll work. Interesting. And so, and going for, I have no idea what so else. Yeah, going whether, so, Apple Podcasts, if you listen on, if you're used to listening on, iTunes, on a, uh, Apple device, it's Apple Podcasts, or mm-hmm. you can go and find other, you know, podcast, uh, you know, apps and stuff, such as Podcoin is a new one I'd recently heard about. And if you sign up right now, you're like, why would I go sign up to another, you know, podcast app? The one I use now works fine. Well, 
the one you use now probably will not reward you for listening to our podcast, signing up because of our podcast, or listening to any other podcast that you probably want to listen to. You get paid in points for every minute you listen to of a podcast. And if you would sign up on PodCoin with the friends and film uh, recommendation, uh, you will get 300 points right off the bat for signing up and be well on your way to a, a Starbucks gift card, an Amazon gift card, or you can use those points to donate to uh, several different charities. So uh, if you're an avid podcast listener, which you probably are if you listen to our show and other shows as well, uh, go check out PodCoin. And again, uh, the instructions to sign up and get those 300 free points right off the bat are on our Twitter page. Um, but if you are not on there, it's just friends and use the and sign uh, film, friends and film uh, on the code and you get 300 points right off the start with podcoin so very cool very cool indeed uh and it's got a lot of other stuff besides just us so i've already subscribed to a lot of my different podcasts over there um and good news is other people are checking us out because we're now on podcoin so that's great uh to know as well so if you're out there on podcoin this is your first time listening or your, your second time this is your first new episode welcome to friends and film and the community so before we get into our review of dark phoenix Josh, is there anything you watched recently that uh, you need to shout out to people? Yeah, there absolutely is. Um, I have two things. One is quick, though. Ma is as bad as the reviews say. Oh, that's a shame. You can wait for it to show up on Netflix very soon um, because it's not going to stay in theaters that long. But the one I want to champion this week is something that you should have a review on Monday or Tuesday of from me um, is I Am Mother. It is the rare, good Netflix genre sci-fi flick. Um, like, literally so that if it had been given a little more money, um, it would be a piece of sci-fi on screen that we would be like, this is extraordinarily good. Um, it stars uh, Hilary Swank and Maddie Lenton, um, who is, I think it's like her debut performance or her second okay. one of her second performances on screen, um, as this child born... Um, in basically a bunker to via um, a robot, not to a robot, but like <laughs> um, from like basically a human repopulation chamber place. Um, and this is the first one. The robot's trying to learn how to take care of this kid before like spreading out and starting to repopulate the planet. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Hillary Swank shows up at the door of the bunker um, where after she's been told before that the world is basically ended and there's infection and radiation everywhere and everyone's dead. And then it just kind of becomes this really long mystery where you have Rose Byrne as the voice of the mother kind of, it's really soothing and calming Mm -hmm. and you grow to trust her. And then this mystery unwinds about what's really going on. Um, Is there a robot revolution? What's Hillary Swank's deal? And it becomes impeccable. Um, It's directed by Grant uh, Sputor, Sputor. um, And the cinematography is fantastic. Um, the score and things like that are for the buttloads, low budget of a movie, move things along, and it just feels really allegorical mm-hmm. all the way through. And I, it's not a waste of an hour and 50 minutes. So jump on if you have a chance. Okay. Well, I will uh, also sing the praises of another Netflix movie that I watched this week. That being Always Be My Maybe, <gasps> yes. uh, the Ali Wong Randall Park comedy. Uh, I thought it was incredibly charming. Their chemistry is just... Uh, so good. And then it sent me down the Ali Wong rabbit hole of watching her two Netflix specials. Mm-hmm. They're both hilarious. I'm still wondering, though, Netflix, did you give her 
her own Netflix account because she did not have one in That's her right. first Netflix special. So now she's done two specials and movie. I feel like she's earned it at this point because mm-hmm. she's knocking it out of the park. And uh, yeah, the movie's incredibly charming. They're really good together and uh, very funny. So if you've got again, an hour 40 or so, uh, go check that one out on if, Netflix. If not for anything, the 20 minutes of Keanu Reeves, 15 minutes oh of Keanu gosh, Reeves. Oh my gosh, yes. The is- Keanu Reeves moments are the greatest because you know they're coming if you've seen the trailers Uh but there's something different about what's happening which i don't want to spoil if you don't know what it is but there's something special about what he's doing in the movie that it just makes it all the better yeah he it is just some of the best stuff you'll see Mm -hmm. on a movie this year yeah that's right that's right that's right right it's 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 the entire character if you will um, that he plays into is perfect. Exactly. So uh, on that note, let's jump into Dark Phoenix, the latest and last X-Men movie from the Fox era, other than, you know, New Mutants is coming out next year, technically. But, you know, this is the final entry in the main saga. This is the fourth entry in this recent soft reboot that started with X-Men First Class. This is the seventh entry in the X-Men main saga that started back in 2000, uh, the very first X-Men. So this is 19 years in the making. It'll be 20 years when New Mutants comes out next Mm -hmm. year. Um, And unfortunately, it kind of just ends without like much of a bang it's not it's not the worst thing you'll see all year. Um, it's certainly not the best. It's just more of just like I've seen this movie before. It seems like because yeah. a it happened like this is the Dark Phoenix saga. They don't they did this already with X Men Three: The Last Stand. Same story, say a lot of the same beats, just you know some different characters here and there. Um, but the difference here uh, is that there's not the build up to this event uh, that I think the last stand had going into it. You know, you could see the evolution of Jean Grey over two films right. going into that. This one, we get one movie with of Sophie Turner and Apocalypse. And even in that movie, she's got like 15, 20 minutes of screen time and she's not asked to do a lot. I think she's really good in this movie though. Um, even though she did like, I still don't feel for Jean, I think as much as I need to for the story to really work for mm-hmm. me. Um, but I thought she does, she does a good job uh, making Jean more of her own character this time around and differentiating between regular Jean Grey and then when she's like the Phoenix persona. I thought yes. Sophie did a good job of separating those two personalities. Um, and then the other standout for me from the cast uh, was Michael Fassbender as Magneto, um, who's probably at this point my favorite thing to come out of the soft reboot because his Magneto is just pitch perfect. He brings so much uh, raw emotion to the character, um, a relatability, strangely enough. And he almost he almost becomes the hero uh, of this movie in a sense where I'm kind of looking and be like, I think I'm team Magneto here uh-huh. uh, of what's happening. So uh, it's a really fascinating turn for him. And I think he eats up uh, a lot of what he's doing and is actually given something um, to do. Whereas like, you know, James McAvoy, Jennifer Lawrence, Nicholas Holt, like, and Evan Peters, they're kind of just here for the ride, for the paycheck maybe. Um, and don't, they don't get a lot of really the standout moments. And then for the rest of the, the new cast that we're still relatively new mm-hmm. to Ty Sheridan, Alexander ship and Cody Smith McPhee. They, I thought they would have a lot more to do in this film. And Cyclops probably is the biggest role of the three. And even his role doesn't seem that big. No. So it's, it's, it's a strange combination. This movie is, which is why it's kind of a weird movie to like, take in and judge it because i feel like there's three different like things going on here one is it's a continuation of the first class you know saga and at that point i think it's a good continuation i think it 
progresses these characters along nice enough to be like, okay, like I can see where this is going if there was if it was gonna go anywhere, but it's not. So that's weird. Um then it's again the second adaptation of the Dark Phoenix saga. And is it a step up from the last stand? Yeah. But is that like that big of a thing to say? No. <laughs> uh and then the final thing is it's a now because of the Disney Fox merger, it is the final film of this this franchise, this twenty years franchise basically. And on that note, that's where it really falls flat because that's not what it was designed to be. It had to go through a bunch of reshoots. It had to change a lot. Mm-hmm. And I think you can really tell that in the third act, which is probably the weakest of the film. Um, the weakest after, of like the franchise, maybe? Maybe. It's just, it's just very... I've seen this before. It's very mm-hmm. um, scaled back instead of scaling up, uh, which I think you can do in practice. And it's a good concept. You can pull it off. Uh, but it's just not done well here yeah it loses all intention or it's not so much intention just like we have to have an ending that's somewhat like magnificent or different Mm -hmm. or whatever the case is or like it's big scale and there's no craft in the smallness of it either no and so it's just like they ran out of money (laughs) yeah well yeah they ran out of money during the reshoots which they where they reshot the whole third act Mm -hmm. so they changed the whole third act uh they changed characters uh they changed a lot of different things we can talk about in spoilers more but um it is still kind of like a mixed bag for me as a whole on this movie because i did ultimately think it, it, it went by fairly quickly like once the second act ended and we get into the train sequence which is the whole third act i was like yep oh like we're here already we're at the end this is like surprising i thought we were Still, like, I still thought we had another hour to go, and instead we did not. So uh, I think it moves quick enough. I don't think it's necessary to see an IMAX uh, unless you want to really hear Hans Zimmer's score, which is very good. Uh, you just hear it as loud as you can. Um, but the highlighted movie is definitely Fassbender, it's definitely Turner, and then it's the second act where they really are pushed to the forefront. And I think that's the movie that this should have been in a lot of ways. And it's not. And so there's a lot of different competing narratives. There's a lot of different competing visions. And we can talk about all those stuff in a more detail in spoilers. But for now, I will give Dark Phoenix two and a half tickets stubs out of five. It's okay. Not great. Not terrible. Um, but there's a lot of things in here that I'll either forget about or will, are just not very memorable on and of themselves. Yeah, that was a really generous, nuanced uh, thing for a 2.5. I mean, well, I just, I don't have, I guess I can't find the bright side okay. on a lot of these. Um I've I, not, do, I do feel like a two and a half is a little generous, I'm but I not, still feel like I enjoyed it enough. You have a you like the the first class reboot, the first class um, timeline. I guess I do. I do. If you very will, much. a lot more than I do. Days Other of, than Apocalypse, Days of Future, of course. Yeah, the Apocalypse was just a disaster from the beginning. Because it's it's the worst of this new reboot for oh, me, for sure. Like, oh, that's my dad. Oh, I'm not gonna say anything. Oh, no, never mind. He's, still, is he? Is he not? I don't know. <laughs> they never cleared that up. <laughs> There's no, yeah, there's not even talk about it in this one. And no. oh my gosh. <laughs> there's a lot of those loose plot threads. Like, where's Psylocke? <laughs> Doesn't matter. Right. Um, uh, but like any, uh, here's the thing about X-Men Dark Phoenix is that number one, we love James McAvoy. We love Michael Fassbender. We love Jennifer Lawrence. Taylor Sheridan has, you know, generated all the goodwill in the Ty world. Ty Sheridan. Ty Sheridan. Thank you. Um, I don't even know if I mentioned Sophie Turner already. Yeah, Sophie Turner. Um, like, just riding high off of all of Game of Thrones forever and ever and ever. And did fine in Apocalypse. But that movie's problems were well documented. Or not documented, but just, just a slog of things happening in places. It's just so boring. And so boring all the way through and uh, and now we come here 
And all of that goodwill is just, again, absolutely squandered. Like, just taken and squeezed out from us from the first act to the last act. The the, 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 the middle, where, like, actual things happen and emotions and characters turn and move, is good. You can feel, you can feel Simon... Kinberg's writing in it mm-hmm. um, in a lot of ways uh, because it's it's actually like you said it's a little more stripped down and I don't know you, this is the most this is the most personal of an X-Men movie that I've like main X-Men title film that I've seen since maybe the first two I would say at least where you can just feel kind of like some kind of emotion simmering underneath mm-hmm. the surface yeah. but it's repressed with like eye really dialogue and just like you know well on the nose stuff um and so the performances don't all the way come come through and then by the time jessica chastain really shows up in this movie as vuk vuk uh, i don't know what the, her name is um the alien character right. whose name is margaret that she impersonates um you're just like you don't fit in this movie at all and and, and it's cool to see her out there kind of just like you know um going all in in her first comic book is movie it role like I, it's it seems like uh, like I think dedication's something to apply. I, I mean, sure, I, Chastain was the same character throughout, but I was just like, why take Jessica Chastain, one of the most talented actresses in the business, and strip her of all personality, of mm-hmm. any just motivation or anything, and just be like, here she is. And so, yeah. Oh, okay. She, she just really like this is the way. Do this. This is the way. Like as like the alien force that's chasing the thing that's inside the whatever is giving mm-hmm. her the phoenix the powers of the phoenix, you know, and. It's cool. Yeah, it. it, it I. I liked it because I like her. Terrific actor. But none of that saves. Just like this is literally the nicest I can get to it. Where then you just spread out to. I did not dig Magnino's plot, in which seems kind of antithetical to the entire like his entire thing, especially when it comes to like hunting down Jean Grey, because mm-hmm. he takes that up into his hands. I'm like, isn't that kind of like the exact opposite of what you're doing on this island, like with all of your mutant friends? And uh, all of these character turns just are just like are all necessary for plot rather than like, like franchising, or okay. at least for the franchise, or at least for like whatever X Men stands for, which is I don't know. Or should it be X Woman? X Woman, exactly, because oh, it's now the Jean Grey, or well, yeah, we'll get to that. But I I could not find enjoyment or fun. This just felt. I don't know. I just felt like I showed up to the theater like we have to do this for the pod. We have to do this because <laughs> it's a thing that's happening. And I feel like the movie kind of knew that too. Does that make any sense? Mm-hmm. Where these were just, it was just completely somber and gray all the way through. And I don't know, but that's not comic book movies anymore, especially not without some kind of gravity to them. And mm-hmm. there's no gravity in this other than, you know, um, like the, the, mo- the most, thrilling or thrilled I felt was at the very end over a chess game. And like, (laughs) I don't know. Um, It's not good, but all of the characters are, but it's just sad to see them all go down this way. And so I'm going to give it like two ticket stubs out of five, mostly and mainly, I think it's probably built on sympathy for like Michael (laughs) Fassbender and James McAvoy and Jessica Chastain, but it's just, yeah, it, there is nothing redeeming to this movie. Okay, well, let's jump into spoilers, um, and let's talk about Magneto, because that was, well, I guess, one of the things that we very much differ on, Yeah, I okay. really like Magneto stuff, and you do not. Tell me all the way, like, like I, I'm not from 100% familiar with the mutant refugee, like, mutant stay-away camp, or whatever uh-huh, he's got Genosha. going on Genosha, 
Um, I like the idea that he's out there, but also he's tried to like murder the world. Like yeah. how many times? Oh yeah. And I mean, he's just like, he's out there on an island. Like we're like, he sure. Can, he can go there. No one's trying to arrest him, but like the U S military very clearly knows that he's out there. Yeah. So I, uh, in the movie, they explained that that's like an agreement he's made with the governments. I don't know if it's strictly with the United States or it's mm-hmm. governments of the world. And they're like, Magneto, you can have this one Island and it can be a safe haven for, for mutants. And you can be here, have autonomy basically, but you can't leave basically. Like you have to stay here and let your people grow and thrive here. You can't leave. I think that's the agreement that they make. And that's what he's trying to do. And I think that makes sense with what Magneto has done recently it still doesn't like it really gets muddled in what he's done over the entire arc of X-Men yeah. where it's like he was very much I hate humans I don't want anything to do with humans I want to take them down and then you know in Apocalypse he's more like I am posing as a human I am not Magneto I am just some random you know factory worker with a family now it's right. like okay interesting subplot that you could explore and then they just you know kill the family and move on <laughs> and, uh, here but I, I like that he is now on his own and being like the the ruler of in a sense of like a section of mutants right and the only thing that gets him out of it is the death of mystique so i think his vengeance towards jean gray is earned in the franchise history of like him and mystique have had that connection since mm-hmm. first class um and days of future past and eh, kind of in apocalypse but not, it's not like that central um so, like, her death being the one to kind of set him over the edge makes sense, especially when it's coming from Beast, who is already tipped. And he's just like, I'm bloodthirsty. I want to go kill this girl. And he's like, I'm in. Right. <laughs> like, I think I think that pairing of those two grieving over Mystique and going after Jean, I think I thought that was a compelling angle to take. Um, and I think that's why I enjoyed the second act the most, because that's where they are. That plot line is really put to the forefront, gets us that great street fight where there's a lot of creative uses of mutant powers and they're fighting each other. I thought that was all really well done. And because it was actually like a clearly defined like end point to this battle, it's either Gene dies or Gene lives. Mm -hmm. That is what this battle is about. So it's like, okay, like we know what the goal here is for both sides. Whereas in the final fight, I'm like, I don't know what's going on. So I think, I think that's why Magneto stuff worked for me. Okay. Well, like this is where like I understood like the lying part of it. Um, but like, it's sort of like these, like attempt, like you were just talking about last in apocalypse where like, we've clearly moved Magnigo from days of future past, destroy the world to just a simple man, just trying to do his job, you know, and occasionally bend metal with his mind when he has having trouble, like, you know, welding it or whatever. And then they're like, nope, time to go join apocalypse. Cause your family's dead. And then he like brings on board to that. Then again, they move him out there to Genosha and then they're like, all right, he does. He doesn't want any trouble. He just wants to help mutants and teach them to control their powers and, you know, like help them like adapt to the world or, you know, um, what do you call it? Where you integrate. And mm-hmm. then, then all of a sudden, like, and then again, he like, he becomes like bloodthirsty. That personal aspect to it worked. And for me in apocalypse, I'm like, okay, that's fine. But then it felt like they were doing it here again at the expense of Jennifer Lawrence's character. Yeah. And I don't know. It just like, it was like putting a, cheese grater up against me and like <laughs> I, I didn't buy that as much as I did for Holt and okay. like if Holt had been the one to um or Beast sorry yeah, yeah. Nicholas Holt's character Beast had been the one to you know like have that happen to him and then lead the charge for it that would have been more so okay. and, and like because I, I mean he, I mean he was the one to recruit Magneto basically yes like hey 
have you heard about like right. I heard you, you had I heard too. you had Jean or why didn't you kill her? He's like, why would I do that? And he's like, oh, like she didn't tell you mm-hmm. she killed Mystique, and like that's what sets him off. So like I think I, I get where you're coming from, and I for me the family death death and apocalypse is like oh that's sad like like that he had a happy life now it's taken away from him, but like I there was no investment in that family, so like it kind of rang a little hollow. Yeah. Whereas this one, I was like, I at least know the history here mm-hmm. for these characters so I can latch onto that. Yeah. And I feel like it does, it does that use of it does build off of your like knowledge of all the X-Men mm-hmm. franchise. Cause like they're, they're hand in hand the entire first three movies. Yep. Is she in the first X-Men? She's a, yeah, she's in the, all three of the first X-Men movies and then she loses her powers in the third one. That's right. And he's like, I have no use for you. See ya. And yeah. Like walks out on her or something. And like then that. she like turns his back on him. I can't remember the exact details. I think she, it's like she turns her back on him, but then she like gets her powers back and he's like, Oh, Hey, what's up girl. And then they get back together. I can't remember. Me neither. But then you just watch all these. I did, but you know, <laughs> the last stands a blur. It's like, you know, not super memorable. All, all I can remember is the, the angel moment and then the angel and then the gateway Ellen bridge. Page, that's, that's great. Yeah. Um, running from juggernaut. Yeah. Or, the juggernaut yep. yeah okay but uh totally off backtrack but th- those are michael fassbender qualities that um i'm you know or the character of eric that i just cannot you know follow i don't i don't see the line i don't see the through line mm-hmm. um as much as i don't know perhaps you do like michael fassbender is great like you said he brings a raw emotion to all of his characters except for the aliens movies <laughs> but to his characters and he gets to put it on display that you can feel the hurt and everything like that. Like, mm-hmm. so you buy it, you, you, he can sell it to you, but you, judging in terms of franchise and like things like that, it's just, it's just not there. James McAvoy is all over the place. He was a junk. He was like a, he was a, he was like a heroin, yeah, heroin uh, addict. He was like a junkie. Basically. It was, it was a stand in for heroin addict basically <laughs> yeah. in days future past. And, and then what was he what, having an apocalypse? He was like, I don't know. I, but like, so we're on Charles Xavier. Mm-hmm. I did like like the like the first uh, forty five minutes of the movie mm-hmm. take where like Charles is a bad guy. I was like, oh okay, right. This is interesting. I like this. Like this is a different angle we have not really seen before in these movies. Of like, is Charles really doing this for like the betterment of X Men and mutants, or is he like, is this just about him? Yeah, it's more. It's all about like it's the it's the after being outcast. It's like you want the fame, you want mm-hmm. the fortune. Um, Mystique confronts him about that. Yeah. Lawrence's character comes up. Raven is just kind of like, what's the deal here? Like, are you really saving the cats and the trees for you or for like, you know, society? Right. She's and, like, when's the last time you risked something? It's like, eh, you know, fair point, I guess. <laughs> there's like, yeah, there's like a lot of like the fame and like, there's like the nineties pop culture kind of plays yeah. a part in it a little bit. And just sort of like, you know, that's kind of like the height of like our camp pop culture. I think, I don't know. Um, and so I, I dug those parts of it, but I'm like, why is this in an X-Men movie? It just feels so odd. The, the, what part? Charles being a villain or? Charles, Charles being a villain is a cool aspect. Yeah. And I think one that should have been explored so many times Completely. Before, especially because Magneto is much more interesting in his arguments than Charles is. Well, if anything, I, I would just like, even if we didn't get them before this movie, to like, Give us that, like, Charles is a bad guy thing for, like, the whole movie. Yeah. Like, don't give it to me for 45 minutes and then be like, well, never mind. <laughs> you know, Gene spared his life because he, like, re-brought brought her memories back or whatever. I was like, what? what? Like, come on. Yeah. Like, it felt like like they're chickening out of, like, a really interesting setup. Um, and, yeah, so I don't know. I, I, that was one of those really good ideas I thought that this movie had that 
it just wasn't able to really go all the way on. Yeah, like because it's always X Men has always been about my, like you know um, repressed or minority people, mm-hmm. and then there's the power, and then what happens when Charles becomes the power, and then they're like, we've got this idea, and they're like, ah, eh, now let's be traditional, and then yeah. they just they just pivot away from it, mm-hmm. and it's like he he learned the lesson that he should have learned in like the third act. Um, right at the beginning of the third act, you know, mm-hmm. right at the end of the first dish, right. middle of the first dish. And so, yeah, I don't know. It, it, there's, it's full of interesting choices that have, have been tamped bound. I don't know if that's Kimberg's rewriting. I don't know if that's studio um, seeing dailies and like mm-hmm. hitting the abort button right. or what the case is. But um, definitely, definitely two disappointing arcs for me. Yeah. Um, let's talk about uh, Mystique real quick. Oh, yes. So, because in the, I guess it wasn't the first trailer, it was the second trailer, uh, after the delay, uh, they very clearly set up the fact that Mystique is dying, and then Simon Kimberg goes out, does interviews with the W and other outlets, and was like, yep, that's what's happening. <laughs> They're like, why are you showing that in the trailer? Seems like a big plot point to give mm-hmm. away. It's going to happen in the first 20 minutes of the movie. And he's like, oh, it is, but it's like meant to set up like the stakes of this movie. They're like, anybody can die, and there's going to be multiple casualties. And that's not that's not the case. Mystique's right. the only one to go. Yep. And so I'm just left here thinking, like, I I hate that trailer now, kind of like in hindsight, because I'm like in that interview process, because I'm like, Kimberg, you gave me false expectations for this movie, where you were telling me this is you know, it's the final X movie of the Fox era. It's gonna be epic. It's gonna be this mm-hmm. big giant send off. You know, you're doing your job, I guess, in the press. But like, you are now telling me somebody's going to watch your movie in several months, right? This is what the movie's about, and that's not because then I'm thinking, oh, when when like Jean's like forcing Charles to like walk up the stairs, I'm like, oh, this is when Charles goes. Like they're gonna, you know, it's it's gonna be a little bit of a rehash from last day. I'm like they did that whole, you know, Jean kills, you know, uh, Charles already, but you know, like they're gonna do it again. Like, we can get two big casualties here, and this is like we're going here. Okay, interesting. Um, and instead that didn't happen, and then nobody else died, and I was like. Like it makes that decision to show Mystique's death in the trailer all the more like frustrating because you take away the moment of like kind of shock. Yeah. Like if I did, if we, if they didn't show that beforehand, like that, the, the a there was a funeral or that b like Mystique's not really in the movie and like past like the first act, then I'm like, uh, okay, like what's like what's gonna happen here? Then I'm shocked to see Jennifer Lawrence with like wood, like completely bloody wooden sticks coming out of her chest i'm like oh my gosh like this that would be surprising instead i'm like all right here it is <laughs> yeah exactly and, and, and so like and the thing is like maybe that was his only move because jennifer like we all kind of were like does jennifer lawrence even want to be in these movies like I yeah. think we, in apocalypse it was very clear that she was there to fulfill a contract uh-huh. and make it and get the money but then after but in like the lead up to dark phoenix like They're, kinberg and everybody's like oh well you know Lawrence and Holt and Fassbender and McAvoy, they're all co- their contracts were up, so they mm-hmm. all said they would come back if I directed this. And it's like, so like you all willingly came back, yeah. <laughs> but like Jennifer was like, you know, I'll do it, but I only want to put on the blue makeup for three scenes. And I'm only going to do six days of shooting, and that's it. <laughs> and you're like, uh, uh, okay, you're dead in 15 minutes, right? <laughs> you know, like it's so like it feels necessity, but like you said, like it feels kind of cheaty too because you have, I mean, not cheaty, but just sort of like. I don't. It's just, it's a false. It's a false belief that that's actual stakes. Because especially like if you think about the things around it, especially this mystique, not since Days of Future Past has she really like had an emotional note. Yeah. Um. 
like Apocalypse being sidelined the entire time except for like one or two speeches for like you're X-Men okay right. then go when get she's them. forced to be a leader it's like oh okay people look up to her because she's a mutant revolutionist or something yeah she was she was on TV once in yeah. the 60s or 70s or around yeah, Vietnam been in the 70s yeah so 20 years after the fact <laughs> and so you know that that is what it is and but it's just like Jennifer Lawrence is an incredibly talented actor in just about everything mm-hmm. um if the movie happens to be bad it's not really her fault not it's normally just, it's just a script or, yeah so, you know it's she's, she's never the problem um and she's not the problem here at all either but it's just i don't know using her as a plot device or like a moving forward thing and to say uh-oh everything's on the table we killed our big star who won't we kill mm-hmm. and then they kill no one or yeah, nobody or else just, or just it's just like fizzles like there's that that's the spike of the movie mm-hmm. that's the most drama filled moment right like you don't even see like gene like kill her dad who's still alive after all these years You're right. like like you that, that should have been a chain of events that sets off of like and now gene is like Mm-hmm. The, the phoenix has taken over and gene is like terrorizing people and so it's like oh i'm gonna go cry in an alleyway drink in a bar chastain's gonna meet me and like then we're like we're off and running towards a finale that's like you know kind of lame right yeah and, and you know it's a lot of like a regret and searching and it feels like logan light uh-huh. in a lot of ways just without any impactful writing yeah so uh, let's see. What other points do we need to hit on here? Uh, one thing I didn't really love, and this goes back to Chastain's thing, mm-hmm. uh, is the, and like and the Charles thing at the same time, uh, is that the movie it, it it didn't feel like ever really knew. I mean, it, it knew that Chastain was the villain, yes, but it didn't go in all in that right from the get go. It was like first act Charles is the villain, kind of. Second act, well, maybe it's actually Gene's the villain. Mm-hmm. But, you know, Chastain's, like, sitting in the background manipulating her. And then third act is, like, and now Chastain's, like, the actual villain because now she's took, like, some of the powers. Right. And it's, like, but, like, I don't care about you because you've been, like, had so little to do in the first two acts. Like, you're not you're not menacing. You're not terrifying. I have no sense of fear uh, because if you weren't going to kill Mag- if you weren't going to kill Charles 15 mm-hmm. minutes ago, you're not going to kill anybody else here. Right. So what are we doing? Yeah, and it it's it's something where you're like you you kind of see this movie and you're like what what is the drama? There just isn't any anywhere. Not in the care other than like you said, Charles. That's that's like the high point of all of this. I mean, or obviously then to you know um, Raven getting killed or Mystique, um, but uh, past that. there's really nothing that you can really just put your attention on and say, that's the villain. That's the Mm -hmm. bad, whatever the case is. Chastain sort of just like, you're hanging out here. We know what you're whispering in Gene's ears. Probably not like totally true, but it's like, you know, it's like a pep talk or something like that. You know, it's manipulative in some kind of ways. And if I understand right, that's like the dark Phoenix saga is people manipulating Gene or trying to find ways to use her new powers Mm -hmm. for their own, their purpose or gain. But she's the only one really doing that. Everyone else is like, no, power's bad. We've learned our lesson. And then so it just sort of runs out of gas once you get to the train sequence. And then once Charles opens up her memories all the way. And so, or whatever he does at the end, that kind of brings her back from the. I really don't know what happened there. Like, they go into his brain, is what he says, I think. And that's why she's a little girl. And again, like, uh, I guess not again. We didn't mention this. The early stuff with Gina is like a like a very young child, like her origin stuff. I was like, why are, why, why are we doing this? Seen this 20 times. Skip this. Just get this out of the way. Like, we do not need to see this again. 
Like, I mean, sure, like, it was a little stylized, like, the car crash, but, like, I don't need to see a slow-mo car crash to show how Gene's parents mm-hmm. die. Like, I, I, I did not need that in this movie. Seen it a thousand times. Exactly. Um, what else? There's a lack of buildup and investments for the Cyclops and Gene relationship, which oh, yeah. uh, is, is a huge negative for the movie because it's ultimately the thing that's, like, supposed to be, like, driving the emotional through line of the film. And, that like, the second, like, the first time they're on screen together like outside of a mission mm-hmm. they're like making out hardcore and like oh <laughs> they're together you guys are a thing now after you guys like held hands i think one time in apocalypse like yeah. <laughs> that was all that was the seed that was planted that was all you needed uh it's been 10 years i guess so <laughs> it's it's been a while but still it's like that just seems like such a again it's a it's a, such a quick progression of this franchise and these characters that like it's hard to really stay attached to what they're doing because we haven't seen a lot of what they've done so uh, that was a little disappointing. And uh, with the young cast again, the uh, Cyclops and Storm, there was a moment after Gene uh, killed Mystique where Storm, like, kind of questions the Cyclops, like, whether or not, like, you know, that really was Gene, if she can be saved, whatever. Mm-hmm. Setting up, like, that they weren't on the same page. I was like, oh, like, okay, that's interesting. Like, Cyclops and Storm are not going to see eye to eye in this movie. And then Charles was like, all right. Cyclops were going to this place. He's like, okay, and Storm's coming too. And he's like, uh, okay. Didn't she just say we need to kill her? Or yeah. Something? Yeah. Like, I thought they were setting up that like, Storm was going to change sides and, like, go be with, like, Beast and Magneto. And, like, that would have been interesting. Re- Instead I- of, like, Storm just doing nothing. Yeah. There's just, there's a lot of potential conflict and things like that that you can go run with or that you can, you know, really creep out and come out of the woodwork. Um, but, it, none of it manifests itself. It's almost as if it was written for a two hour and 30 minute movie and not a bless their hearts for giving me an, an under two hour film. Um, that just doesn't get used. No. And it, it's befuddling why I don't know if it was too hard to like, you know, to get it through. I mean, I know movies change on, you know, mm-hmm. all the time, but uh, I, I'm just confused as anyone. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we do know that the third act was changed yes. quite a bit. Uh, some details of it have come out already of that, like, you know, it was supposed to that a Jessica Chastain and her whole alien group were supposed to be the scrolls originally. Uh, and they changed that oh. because of Captain Marvel. So that's why they're shapeshifters. Uh, but then they also have other powers. I don't know if they're supposed to be super scrolls or actually going to be, you know, actual like characters from Marvel comics, or if they're just going to be very vague scrolls with, you know, enhanced powers. Um, so that was one thing that they changed. Uh, they also, the third act was going to involve the UN, at some point hmm. where like the, the team was at the UN, then the, then scrolls. Now the, uh, they're not the Shi'ar, whatever they are, the, the Dabari or Dabari. Yep. Uh, yep. That's right. When the scrolls are going to attack then, and then Jean was going to go up into the sky, wipe out their fleet. And then somehow after that, Kimberg described the third act as civil war esque of like, Oh, we did the street fight was their airport fight. And now we're going to go, into a very low, like very personal battle here at the end. I don't know who that would have if, because if you're going to do the civil comparison, you're doing like two v one. Is it like Charles and or like Magneto and Gene versus Chastain? Is it Cyclops and Gene versus Green? Yeah, like, I, I don't, I don't know how that works or whatever. But like, uh, it's it, it at least sounds like like that approach seems more uh, in line with what the first two axes movie we're leading up to instead of like the trains derailed. Now we're in like this junkyard 
and Chastain and <laughs> Sophie Turner are standing face to face holding each other's throats. It's like, what's happening? <laughs> I thought I, I literally thought we were watching Apocalypse again. Just that was that was the elemental, you know, air and atmosphere. Yep. And the only thing missing was Oscar Isaac in a huge, dramatically sealed right. suit, you know, or whatever the case is. And so, I don't know. It just it exhausted me as soon as I saw the train and as soon as everything like, started taking place. And like, ah, man, they, they literally, it, it went off the rails. And <laughs> so, yeah. it, you know, it's disappointing because maybe it felt like with Kimberg making his directorial debut, mm-hmm, yep. you know, like things might be good for the better, but it was a wait till you see it moment. And finally, when we saw it, it was everything we thought it was going to be right. Just uh, a mess. Yeah. One other thing from the train sequence that kind of, caught me off guard not off guard i guess it was just more surprising uh nightcrawler like old to like very quickly flips to being like a straight up like i'm going to kill anybody who stands in my way mm-hmm. i was like that just seems like i i get why he did it in the moment because he's like he couldn't save that rand like the random mutant uh you know guard yeah but i was like it wasn't like you know watching gene gray murder your mentor <laughs> like mm-hmm. that like did this it was why like watching some random trooper that like makes you kill everybody it just seemed like such a well we need this dispatch of a couple more villains real quick so now nightcrawler's gonna kill people yeah and he was like and he's like and and he like like, enjoyed it (laughs) yeah it's like he's he's timid throughout this new like setup Mm -hmm. versus the og x-men character and so you're like oh okay well okay yeah like he just he gets bloodlusted and then so so many things that don't fit like the more nuanced and complicated characters that they at least tried to map out and build mm-hmm. just are thrown to the wind. And oh man, I have nothing for it. I really don't. Do you have anything else uh, in your notes for Dark Phoenix? I don't have anything else for my notes for I've Dark got, Phoenix. I've got one thing left that was a bummer. Sidelining Quicksilver for like five minutes of screen time. I was like, well, this was clearly like, okay, well, Dark Phoenix's shooting schedule conflicted with american horror story so peters cannot do both mm-hmm. like well we can get you th- for two days right. so you can go up in a spacesuit and then you can you know have you do a slow-mo thing and then fall and die yeah or not die but you'll know, be very badly hurt and never mm-hmm. seen again <laughs> and yeah like in evan peters was the saving grace of apocalypse the mansion rescue scene mm-hmm. um when i loved his uh his like the one comedic beat of this movie was when they get back from the space mission, he was like telling all the kids, well, you know, I really did a lot of it. Like, you know, Gene helped out, but it was really me. Yeah. And I was like, okay, like that was funny. Like he, he, he fits, Evan Peters fits with the attitude of those first mm-hmm. few moments of like, he's a guy who would bask in the light of like, uh, you know, on the press and the media yep. and everything like that. But then they're like, eh, all right, we're never going to become very dark and serious. Mm-hmm. So Evan Peters can't be here at all. Or, or, you know, like you said. Yeah. Like I would have loved to see Evan Peters Quicksilver with like Matthew Vaughn. Absolutely. Like, oh, would have been great. But, uh, oh, well, uh, any final words on Dark Phoenix slash the X-Men saga? Ne- never a fan of the X-Men saga. Oh, X2... Okay is the best and then there's days of future past which is like right there but you know like the spinoffs was where i lived logan and deadpool and that's so weird that like these movies that began basically everything we have now mm-hmm. um were never really that great <laughs> that's fair but i do dig x2 i mean we, we know huge right because of these so yeah exactly um yeah i mean the only thing i'll say here to close out is i just wish 
this would have been better. I wish they could have known either from the get-go or delayed it again and like reconfigure the whole thing to be like, all right, we're going to change it, make it a very definitive ending to the Fox era instead of being like, well, this is half the end of the first class era, but also like, oh, the Phoenix is still up in the skies and like everybody's out and alive and happy and now we can do something new with the Jean Grey school mm-hmm. for gifted youngsters and That's right. Beast leading that school. It's like, whoa, you set up a bunch of new threads here that are never going to go anywhere. Uh, so I wish they could have just figured out a way to make this more of like of a final send off for them instead of just being, and a good one instead of just being like a shoulder shrug of a movie and an ending. So, yeah, uh, cause I, cause I do, I, even though you may not have enjoyed, uh, you know, more than like two of these movies, mm-hmm. uh, I think the first two X movies are really good. I think the first two X movies of this reboot are really good. Um, and then, you know, the third and fourth entries here and the last stand, not great, yeah, but like, uh, don't get me wrong. Days of future past fits in this spot of like where it com- collides both those worlds. Mm-hmm. And that's what makes it like really special. Yeah. And so like, it's not that I don't appreciate that or anything like that. Oh yeah. yeah, that's, yeah. That's, that's terrific. But like in terms of just, I don't know, substantive rewatchability and things like that, and you know, just being actually good, mm-hmm. th- that's where they leave us, I think, um, ultimately. So okay, well, I think I know the answer to this, but will Josh ever watch this one again? No, no, don't need to see it again. I probably will not either anytime soon because there's not gonna be any reason to rewatch it for like you know get get ready for the next one. Yeah, so. that's right. Yeah, that's right. The, the we're all the way out of continuity now. Yep, so uh, that is all we have for our Dark Phoenix review. Let us know what you guys thought of the movie if you guys went and saw it, which, you know, judging by the early box office reports, does look like a lot of people did. So if you did see it, uh, let us know what you guys thought. You can do so on Twitter at Friendly Film. But in the meantime, we'll be right back in a bit with the news. back with the news and as always we start with our three main topics this week kicking off with a dc movie update as it looks like black adam is officially going to happen uh, because observer revealed this week that wame colette sarah is going to direct the Dwayne the rock johnson starring dc movie black adam so uh variety backed this up then a couple of minutes after observer broke the news Johnson and Colette Sarah have recently been working together on Disney's Jungle Cruise movie, movie which comes out next summer, uh, and was previously recruited by Warner Brothers and DC to direct Suicide Squad before that movie was given to Gavin O'Connor, which then he left, and now James Gunn is on board. So they've been trying to get Walmart for a little bit. He has the rock connection already. Now that he is on board, Josh, what is your interest level in Black Adam? Well, interesting enough, Walmart Colette Sarah doesn't really, like, didn't raise the interest level for me as much. Okay. Because... You know, at least proportionally. When Shazam came out and turned out to be very funny and very good and just an all-around blast Mm -hmm. from beginning to end, that spiked my interest levels a ton. Mm -hmm. And then so when you add Wam Sarah, who is a competent, good, you know, stylish genre, not so much genre director, but just he's got a really distinct style and mood to his movies. Um, And you pair with Black Adam, it, it moves it up, but just like, 
so smallly when you compare to like how Shazam was portrayed okay. and moved forward. Uh, so they've got somebody that's competent and good. Um, he's really just done like, I mean, like just like moody films, the orphan, um, two Liam Neeson movies. Non-stop yeah. He did non-stop and, and, and the commuter, the train one, right? He, or did he do he the one where he forgets his memory? All, all, uh, run he's, all night. Something like that. Uh, he has a secret. I'm looking it up is that right un- now. He has a secret identity. Oh, unknown. And he becomes, yeah, he, he ends up believing his secret identity after amnesia. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yes, he oh, did. Oh, no, he did do Run All Night as well. So, yeah, yeah, so there he, you go. he did. Well, so, yes, he's done, so he's done four Liam Neeson movies. Liam, unknown, nonstop, Run All Night, The Commuter. Liam Neeson probably shows up in his next movie. Probably. I mean, I there was know. like one of those deadline, you know, spoof Twitter accounts. It was like, you know, deadline, but like, you know, I-E-N or something like wrong spelling. For sure. That was like, you know, Liam Neeson cast as Hawkman. And I was just <laughs> like, man, they're said to be going like half his age, but you know, <laughs> I wouldn't put it past him. I don't know. Neither do I. But I, it, yes, it's a good pick. I think, I think it'll, I mean, we'll see when it comes out, but yeah, not like I really, but a safe choice. Yeah. Good. Yeah. It's uh. I'm not, if you would have told me to pick who the director was going to be for Black Adam, I would not have, like, Wame would not have been my first choice, probably, but I would have said it is 95% light chance likely that uh, the person who directs Black Adam has already worked with Dwayne Johnson in the past, because yes. that just seems like what he likes to do now with his projects for the most part, um, or get somebody who's, like, very big, like, just had a huge hit, like, you know, with Hobbs and Shaw coming, with David Leach coming off of Deadpool too. Mm-hmm. Like, he looks like that. those are the people he's targeting. So him re-teaming back up with Wame, A, gives me confidence in Jungle Cruise, which is, you know, not totally surprising, but it's like, oh, well, they liked working together, so that's good news, so that movie's probably good. Yeah. Now they're doing this again, you're just like, okay, well, they already know how to work together, so this should be a good process, but also it's like, I don't think this is one of those like, Oh, Walmart's in talks. He's going to join. And I think the rock is already confirmed. Like, yes, he's the choice, but I don't think there's going to be a point because they have this working history where it's like, Oh, well now Walmart backs out. Yeah. And now we're back at, you know, square one with this movie. Like, it seems like this is a high and it's going to stick and then push this movie forward, which is, that's probably the most surprising part. Cause like, it just didn't seem like, is this movie happening? Is it not happening? The mm-hmm. rock's been like for the last like, three years saying oh yeah start from this fall or next early next year and it's like you keep missing these dates <laughs> and like his most recent one i think was like oh it's going to start you know sometime in early, like in around a year from now like he said like earlier this year so it's like oh like early 2020 filming for black adam probably i don't see that totally happening just because wame still has you know jungle crew stuff to work on right um but as i kind of mentioned on twitter jungle cruise was supposed to come out this uh, fall mm-hmm. so it got pushed to next summer so it could be probably a bigger box office hit but also uh this like they already fin they just finished reshoots on the movie so it's not going to take wame a full year to finish editing you know all the vfx whatever he has to do like this movie would probably be in the can this fall anyways and then they'll just do like screenings maybe some extra changes here and there but i think for the most part we could probably be looking at wame finishing up work on Jungle Cruise this year, and then early next year, getting Black Adam ready to go. And then the second Jungle Cruise is out in theaters, he's done doing press. Both of them are. They can jump in and start filming Black oh, Adam. Yeah, pre-production for this, would pro- it's probably going to start this fall when you think about it. I mean, 
probably I mean, they'll probably start like assembling crews and stuff. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Like and, and so like I mean, you can just take your own sweet time editing Jungle Cruise, or I mean, y- you got to deliver it because right. they're not going to pay you all the way through there. And if you're Disney, you want it in the can by then, and then go call them out for press mm-hmm. come that time. Um, so yeah, like Black Adam's gonna have the benefit of not of a director not jumping from project to project, but like let this thing slow burn with Hamada and the crew and the team. And then finally when it gets shooting, probably, I don't know where, um, London, uh, Georgia, probably not Georgia. Oh, depending, on right. the, depending on what happens there. I think that it gets right. That's right. So whatever the case is, it'll, it'll get moving and it'll be out and the fuse has been lit. So it's going to explode in our faces and come 20, Probably 2022. There you go. I would assume. I mean, it, well, eh, yeah, probably 2022. Early 2022, late 2021. But I think they'll already be too busy with other things to get to 2021. So, yeah, uh, yeah I mean, it's 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 a big step forward for this movie. Uh, it's also reassuring that I, th- I believe it was in the variety report that they mentioned that, like, the Black Adam movie became a bigger uh, focus for WB and DC after they viewed Shazam as a success with mm-hmm. which there had been like some debate online. It's like, you know, was it really, it didn't even crack $400 million worldwide. Oh, How big of a hit is that? Right. Um, and it's like, you know, it was still, you know, it's still like uh, over tripled its budget, I think. So it's definitely in the green for the studios. Um, so now to get black Adam moving, we'll probably get word on Shazam two moving here in the next couple of months uh, more so than I, cause I think they already said that it's, in early development at this point. So, uh, and then get into a black Adam versus Zam sort of meetup movie. So, uh, it actually looks like Dwayne The Rock Johnson is going to be sticking in the DCU. Uh, there had been, you know, some speculation maybe he'd go jump with Marvel after having, you know, good experience with Jungle Cruise or other Disney projects. Um, you know, when you meet Kevin Feige, that kind of stuff. So, instead, it looks like he's going to be around for DC. So, that's, uh, you know, this is an announcement that was made in 2014. I believe 2013 that he was going to be playing Black Adam. So, you know, almost you know eight Goodness years after the fact, gracious. we're uh, we'll we'll see him then. <laughs> so uh, it is coming along. We'll get you more news on Black Adam when it arrives. Let's move on though to Ghostbusters three, the reboot that is coming in 2020, directed by Jason Reitman, because Sigourney Weaver confirmed this week to Parade Magazine that she will reprise her role as Dana Barrett in the third film and that Bill Murray and Dan Aykroyd will be back as Venkman and Stance respectively. So I don't think this is huge, a huge shock that original members of the cast are coming back for the Jason Reitman movie mm-hmm. because he is the son of previous director uh, of the, of the franchise. So there's already those connections there. Um, but I'm a little surprised that Sigourney is one of the ones that is coming back. Are you happy that she's back? Where do you see her fitting in? if anywhere uh, and just like kind of a, or do you even want to see her back? It'll be interesting. Yeah. It'll be, it'll be interesting to see what her character has to do. Um, like, is like it, like the, it, like, yeah, no, it, very much in the Ivan Reitman film. Um, she's sort of like the damsel in distress. Or she's not, yeah. she's not in, like so much in distress, but she just sort of like, then she's hapless. like becomes the villain kind of. Right. And so whatever her role is, I hope it's something more, akin to the way we see Sigourney Weaver now mm-hmm. where it's just you know just much more um confident on top of it and just very much more the Ripley than the I guess whomever you know she is in Ghostbusters and Dana so, Barrett there you go so Dana Barrett sorry and and you know that's kind of what you want to come through 
um, like sort of like maybe like the matriarch of the ghost busting family. Like I know Bill Murray's going to be there and like, he's the, you know, the all father or whatever, <laughs> but like, I think Dana can like so, so slide into that. But Reitman's film, like I don't have any problems with this movie yet at all, other than just sort of like maybe like the early rollout to that pre teaser trailer for production. Uh-huh. Other, I mean, other than that, though, like the moves seem to be nice, and um, I just hope it ends up being something that like shuts everyone up. Yeah, and is just a movie we forget about later, and then be like, <laughs> Ghostbusters was still better, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and we all move forward. I suppose. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I, I'm, ex- I guess, happy to see them back, Sigourney, uh, especially just because I mean, she's great, and yeah, Bill, I mean, Bill Murray, and I'm not, I'm not shocked in the slightest that Dan Aykroyd's back because it seems like all he ever does is talk about Ghostbusters sequels, ideas he has or whatever. Um, so him being back for this third one is no surprise. Um, and then Bill Murray coming back, that's good news. And mm-hmm. that's actually be playing their original characters is reassuring after, you know, Ghostbusters, the 2016 version, which I liked their, you know, cameos as the non characters, that they already played was just probably the worst part of the movie. The Bill Murray thing was just so strange. It was, yeah, it was, it was not good. Um, but them being back is good news. Does this also mean that, you know, we're, this is not the end of the original people coming back. I mean, we know the movie is focused around the family of Carrie Coon, mm-hmm. uh, McKenna Grace and Finn Wolfhard. Yes. And then the father who's yet to be cast, uh, or, or I think, yeah, I think there's a father, maybe there's Ky- another kid. Kyle, I don't remember. Kyle Chandler or, uh, Ryan Reynolds, probably, maybe. <laughs> Ryan Reynolds, that'd be interesting. Um, but I think there's still another family member to be cast uh, for this film. But are we getting Harold Ramis back? Are we getting Rick Moranis back? Are we getting uh, Ernie Hudson back? We're probably going to get them in some capacity, somewhere. Maybe like, who's that old guy? That's, well, you know, son. That was <laughs> that was that guy who did that one thing. And you'd be like, and then most of us will be like, what? And then you'll get, you'll see like 20 articles from... Um, some some site would be like, this honored the true tradition of Ghostbusters <laughs> because the the three lines that this man says, right. and then we get back to the like the real the, the real meat of it, mm-hmm. and like you know with Finn and McKenna Grace and, and, and all these things, and so it's fine. It's not like it's not you know earth shattering because I just believe Ghostbusters is utterly overrated as it is. But you're not a fan of the first one. No, I'm, I'm a fan of it, but, but I'm, you don't you don't herald it as like it's not sitting on my shelf in a special place. It's not in a case. It's just a funny movie. Yeah, and it is what it is. But Bill Murray has plenty of funny movies. Ivan <laughs> Ivan Reitman has plenty of other good movies. You know what I mean? And it's like it's not the only Dan Aykroyd film. There's Trading Space. Trading Space is a better movie. Come on. So really, I, yes. Absolutely, you think Trading Places is better movie than Ghostbusters. I yes, because Eddie Murphy's in that as well. That's like that's peak Eddie Murphy for me too. Okay, well, agree to disagree on that one. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't think I think probably I think Hudson will be back for sure because he's already talked about wanting to be back. Harold Ramos will probably be back as well. Rick Moranis, he doesn't really do much nowadays, but at this point, it seems like they'll probably get everybody back. So it's more just like. Is it a cameo scene? Is like a reunion dinner? They're all having the original Ghostbusters group. Like, oh, it's been uh, thirty-five years, and <laughs> we're all having dinner together. <laughs> or like, there's like some like anniversary parade or something. Yeah. Like the original attack, uh, and like that's what they're all there for. I don't know. Because um, otherwise, like if the Ghostbusters aren't like a thing anymore, because the Ecto One is like in a garage. Like, what brings all these people back together? That's up for Jason Reitman to figure out. Um, but he's a he's a smart director, smart writer. So. 
hopefully uh, they figure that out on their own. Uh, the last thing we need to talk about on in the big three is the support from Collider, which came out this week, that Quentin Tarantino has hired Jared Carmichael to write a Django Zorro crossover movie. Uh, this script that he is writing is based on a comic book series that Tarantino wrote following the re- release of Django Unchained, um, but it is currently unclear if Tarantino will direct the project or merely be a more of a hands-on producer, or pick a director, or tell him what to do, basically, um, because he, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is his ninth movie. He is said to be retiring after his tenth, so, are you interested in a Django Zora movie? And if so, or if not, I guess, do you see this being Tarantino's final directorial project, or will he pass? It's interesting because I, I, you don't you, you got to wonder what note Tarantino wants to go out on, mm-hmm. and if he picks up a Tarantino or if he picks up a Django Zora movie, that would be really interesting. It would be like picking up the final criticisms that some of his movies have like you know leveled at him with like um like views on racism and things like that like like Django ultimately like sprouted up and like caused and so it would be like taking up like a, conf- a final confrontation with that but outside of that no I can't see him directing this thing I see him like moving into a producer role and just trying to produce movies that are somewhat tangentially related to you know what he's done before mm-hmm. so sort of like you know doing a spinoff of like inglorious bastards or something like that or you know a prequel or a sequel or whatever the case is and so i don't know but like him doing a sequel as one of his 10 films doesn't seem right um so i think he would pass it off but i'm all for it um Django's a fantastic character zorro is a fantastic character and throw those two together in something that's pg-13 r-rated mm-hmm. i'm all for it Especially if you get Antonio Banderas. Right, get him back. That would be terrific. That would be pretty great. Uh, And yeah, this is like one of those very weird reports. It's like, I don't know, I'm not questioning the validity of it or anything. It's more of just like, you know, is this a thing that's like actually going to happen? I don't know. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think that's really where it's going to come down to Tarantino's involvement will probably determine whether or not this happens because I think if Tarantino's involved, either as the director or like very hands-on, then you probably will be able to get Jimmy Fox back to play the character. But like if he just has like, you know, a, a character by credit or, you know, story by or something. Cause like he wrote the comic. Yeah. And then he has nothing else to do with the movie. Like, like you have to get Jimmy Fox back a to play Django. It's mm-hmm. like, you know, he, he hasn't made some of the greatest choices, I guess recently, but you know, he can like, he's still a big name. So, uh, I, I just, I'm just not sure what this is going to be. I, Jared Carmichael, I don't think has ever even written a movie script either. You know, I know he's written episodes of his TV show. So, uh, it just, it's a very strange movie. Uh, I would love to see it if it comes to be, whether it is, uh, you know, Tarantino as a writer, hands on producer. And then you get like Robert Rodriguez to direct it. Cause they're like, they're like, best pals um i could see that happening if so like i could probably probably enjoy this movie um but i just re- I, at this point i just doubt this movie gets made it's like in that same boat of like quentin tarantino star trek movie yeah it's like if it happens cool i'll go see it but like until they're filming i don't buy this is happening yeah and for, for so many reasons i mean i'm sure um part of it is like just what tarantino wants to put his energy on but also too like when you 
take a Tarantino project and you pass on it, it doesn't live up to like what a Tarantino project is. Um, you're just sort of like, well, okay, mm-hmm. like well, probably not the best idea to move forward with it too. Uh, but then again, Netflix is running around with the extended, the recut version, the extended edition, I think is what they call it. Yep. They're calling it of um, the hateful eight, which I've only seen two episodes so far. And it's really just letting you sit in the moments mm-hmm. and like Tarantino can write TV. Like that's kind of what it says. He basically writes TV and it gets compressed by some of the best editors ever into a film. That's kind of how it works. I mean, that's what basically Kill Bill is, really, when you think about it. It's a miniseries. Um, and it's supposed to be one five-hour movie. <laughs> yeah. When the, thank goodness, whoever at uh, Miramax, I think is that where mm-hmm. it was cut through. Like, it's just like, yeah, we cannot let this go through. <laughs> thank goodness. But that's, that, would, that, would, that is what would make this kind of an interesting situation, because technically, I guess, Kill Bill 2 is his first sequel. Mm-hmm. But in his mind... It was not intention. It was not going to be. It was going to be one giant movie. Even though Kill Bill one and two are both counted in his quote unquote nine films that he's directed, yeah. this would be like the first like true. I am going to make a sequel for sure. Years after the fact to a project, um, and to see Tarantino's take on like doing an actual sequel, that is something that interests me a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, but do I see a sequel being the movie that Tarantino goes out on? No, no. This becomes a television series or a Netflix series or That'd an HBO miniseries. Maybe that's sure. why you know Netflix get got involved with Tarantino. Like, hey, you want to recut? You know, uh, you know, Hateful Eight. There's, uh, you know, he's confirmed that there's an extra thirty minutes of Django Unchained out there somewhere. So they maybe I, if here, here's what I'll say: if a Netflix special extended four part miniseries of Django Unchained comes out, you know, next year mm-hmm. that Tarantino cut up with his editor. Uh, then I think you know this project Django Zorro will as a mini series on Netflix that's four episodes long. Yeah, that's like yes, that's happening. One hundred percent. So uh, let's on that note move on to ticket or skip it, where we're each going to choose one trailer to give a ticket to. Uh, and this week, pretty easy pickings because there's only two trailers that we have to fight over. The first being the first trailer for Ford v Ferrari, and the second trailer being the first trailer for Ad Astra. Both Fox movies, both now Disney movies, thanks mm-hmm. to the merger. Which one is Mickey getting your money for? Well, uh, Mickey's going to get my money for Ad Astra, like, eventually. Uh-huh. But the trailer's terrible. And so, yeah, like, I saw I saw your your, your, awful, your tweet about it. Terrible. You said something like, a mediocre trailer means it's, it's going to be a great movie or in, something? In, in sci-fi films, a mediocre trailer usually means the film is going to be good. And I tweeted this, and then Ryan Johnson tweeted later in the day that he was looking forward to it for his his favorite film of 2018. And so <laughs> I took that as validation of, he knows something that I don't know, <laughs> but it's it's a terrible trailer, and I have... No interest in seeing the movie based off of that trailer. Okay. Other than like the space elevator. That's is, a cool image. I, th- I thought the trailer was good. Uh, and I think we're both leading at this point towards 4v4 yes. for our tickets. Yes. But uh, just a quick Ad Astra question. Is mm-hmm. Tommy Lee Jones still alive? Yeah, yeah I think yeah, so. Yeah, I think so too. too. I mean, I think that's the dark thing that he's going to have think. I think that's what they're cutting around and they, they can't show you that. They're just like, oh, here's pictures of him or old archive footage. It's right. Like, Something's going on. <laughs> and it's definitely Tommy Lee Jones is still out there. For sure. And we'll we'll see what that mystery unfolds. But um I am just uh I am in love with Ford versus Ferrari. Completely agree. This is not the movie I thought we were getting. I thought we were getting something a little more a little more head to head. But this is a red fueled, revved and ready 
American story led by Christian Bale, you know, um, heralded by Matt Damon and John Berthal as Carol Shelby and Lee Iacocca, respectively. And just every part of it is amazing. There's no little no jupe in there, too. Yeah. Um, haven't seen him for a while. Since last April, I guess. And, uh, <laughs> What's that movie called? A Quiet, Quiet Place? Place. Thank you. But Christian Bale is just at the top of his like, I'm I'm just a dude persona, and it, it, I I I am just one thousand percent here for it because it looks like pure adrenaline and pure fun at the same time, and James, it looks like James Mangold's got an Oscar contender right here. Oh yeah, oh I, beautiful. I, uh, completely agree with everything you said. It's an easy ticket for me, and like I watched the first time, loved it, and then I saw it again in theaters before. Uh, Dark Phoenix on the big screen in IMAX. I was like, man, this trailer just rocks. Uh, I mean, yeah, you mentioned Bale, Damon, both look at the top of their games. Uh, depending on how everything pans out, maybe both have you know, you know, Oscar nominations in their futures. Um, but then you also have the good luck charm of John Bernthal because it seems like any movie he picks, it's like I'm not the star of. I'm mm-hmm. like the, I'm like the third to sixth man on billing. Yeah, like that movie's aces. <laughs> it's Wind River. It's uh baby driver like you know yes. he, he just run down like his yes. filmography and like oh you're like killing it mm-hmm. I'm like okay i've got like six days worth of work i can do what projects do i do okay this one and like mm-hmm. nails it and uh i think this movie just looks really really special i got a lot of rush vibes and i loved rush uh from ron howard so this movie just looks just excellent yeah. and uh i think it was very smart of them to delay it from even though i think Based on this trailer, you can kind of get why Fox would have initially put it in like the summer release date of like, oh, this could be like a nice, you know, um, like not total blockbuster, but like a very cool, stylish film that's going to go over well with audiences and people will go check it out. But it looks like pushing it to November is definitely going to pay off big time for them and hopefully get uh, some Oscar nominations in there. If you had to guess at this moment, one Oscar nomination. Which where's it going? James Mangold, the script, the cinematography, Bale, Damon, Bernthal. Where are you going? Best cinematography. It's a lock. It's easy. Who's it's, shooting this? Do you know? I don't know who's shooting this. Um, I can tell you in like ten seconds though. Um, <clears throat> let me just vamp about how I just like once you get to those racetrack scenes, like they are just savage in the way that they're, um, you know, portraying the fallout from the crashes and everything like that. Um, but our cinematographer is Faden Papa Michael. I've never heard of this man. I've never or... heard of this man either. Oh, he's the director of Nebraska, which is not a compliment. He did cinematography on Walk the Line, so he's got a mangled connection. Mm-hmm. Um, but it looks like he's done a lot of shorts. His last movie that he did uh, was, oh, he did Downsizing. Not, not the connected. not not the best uh, movie. <clears throat> but I can't say that it was like not. It didn't look great. Look, look good visually. I mean, they did like small aspects. Good, I guess. It's been but, doing the Nespresso commercials <laughs> as well. Yeah, so you know he's making a career out of himself. Um, but um, the Ides of March and Nebraska are two films I've seen. The Ides of March is great. It's shot well, um, but. Not in the oh, and he did three ten to humor, so he's just you know he's a mangled guy, so uh, that makes sense. So um, yeah, I, I think at this point it's tough because I it it looks like one of those subdued, but like Bale's gonna nail like just the personality mm-hmm. performances. And I think if anybody again, I don't really know the histories of these people or their personalities in real life, but it seems like Damon probably has the showier role here. 
See, that's what I'm. That's what I'm on the fence about. He actually, he looks like he's doing a great job. Like I feel him. I feel Matt Damon. But Matt Damon's really just playing this like boring white dude. He's just like, <laughs> we're gonna uh, make a fast car. Um, so I'll drive you around a little bit. But you don't, I don't think he's gonna have much personality yeah, to but, it. But then he gets punched in the face by Christian Bale. <laughs> that, that that's right. But I don't think you don't. Get, if you get punched in the face in a movie, I, I don't think, think that's that an makes Oscar you not. Not. I don't know if that, <laughs> that, that that doesn't seem right. Maybe not. But I think Bale's just a fascinating dude. Um, we've all come to accept that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, it's, it's, he's, he's, he's the guy we'll think of when we see Adam Driver, you know, come, you know, five or 10 years later, we're just like, something's going on in all of your performances. And it's, it's just the way his face expresses things. It's not even his acting talent. It's just what's there mm-hmm. when he gives you a scowl or a <laughs> smile or like just a sense of like, uh, joy or bliss. Yeah. Uh, so yes, uh, Ford v Ferrari, big win for us. Uh, hopefully, gonna have some couple of wins mm-hmm. come next February when the Oscars are held. Um, but on that note, let's move on to the flyby here to wrap up this episode. Starting with uh, some K Cannon news because Deadline reported that she is set to direct 79ers for Lionsgate, which is described as Goonies for adults. Uh, this came after this came before her Cinderella re- reimagining was uh, received a February 2021 release date. So it is unclear at this moment what the turnaround is going to be on 79ers, but uh, either way, it looks like we're getting now we now have confirmation of two K Cannon projects both in the next couple of years. So that's great news. Yeah, I don't know if it's like a one for you, one for me type of a well, thing. Two different studios. Two different studios. So guess not. But because I think that either or, this is great because I think just think K Cannon's the best voice in comedy right now, at least like like on screen comedy. Um, so. Fantastic. I don't know what the 79ers will end up being other than, like you said, Goonies for adults, but bring it on. Yeah, I mean, if, if it's, you know, that blocker style humor mixed with Goonies and, like, she suits this now, gets that ready, uh, to hit, like, theaters next fall or something, be a nice, like, charming movie to come out then. And then, you know, Cinderella comes out early 2021, and then she goes and directs Fantastic Four for Marvel. Uh, it's just going to be a great couple years for Kay Cannon. That's all I know. Please. So uh, we also... On Sony's note, uh, who dated that Cinderella movie, they also dated the Uncharted movie starring Tom Holland and directed by our man Dan Trachtenberg for December 18th, 2020. So we only got 18 months of new Dan Trachtenberg movie, Josh. That's crazy. Actually, I thought we'd have to wait so much longer, especially because Tom Holland is doing so many things all the time. But now he's not. So I'm excited. I'm excited for Uncharted just because, not because of the video game. I've played it very slightly. Um it's, I don't know. It's a different role for Tom Holland, mm-hmm. and we're getting Dan behind the camera, and it'll be one. It'll be something where we can just see his sensibilities a little more um, brought to life on the screen. Yeah, no, with a bigger budget. I, I I can't wait for the movie. I think this release date is also a very smart placement by Sony because 2020, 2020 December has no Star Wars, no Avatar, no DC. It has no blockbusters at this point. So Uncharted coming in claiming that pre. Christmas weekend uh, is setting it up for success. And I think Sony has seen uh, in 2017 and probably again later this year that that December window for big family adventure films like Jumanji mm-hmm. can come in and kill it at the box office. So I think that's probably what they want here for Uncharted. So I think that makes a lot of sense. And uh, what do you think of my suggestion of Chris Hemsworth as the younger Sully yeah. for the movie? I mean, I don't know how. I guess I don't know Sully. I don't character. either. I just. If you've seen that video of them interviewing each other for their individual press tours for yes. Sony, uh, it's just like, man, they're they're so funny together. We don't get enough of that in Marvel movies. We probably never will get them again. Um, 
in that big of a capacity. So to see them together for two hours, uh, I, I would eat that up completely. So, Same here. Uh, we also got a brand new poster for Wonder Woman 1984 as it was revealed that WB and DC are skipping Comic-Con, so we're not going to be getting a trailer for the movie uh, this summer as I think a lot of us hoped we would. Instead, Patty Jenkins released this beautiful rainbow uh, neon poster online and confirmed or teased that the first trailer will instead arrive in December instead. But Josh, what did you think of this poster and uh, these decisions? The poster is fabulous. It's right in line with all of those stills we got when we thought that um, Wonder Woman was coming out this fall, this mm-hmm. winter. Um, but it's beautiful. Uh, it's got like sort of like the pride colors like theme that they've yeah. got out there for June, but it just it just pops. Mm-hmm. And you, the color is there. And I... I Patty, I just feel like this is going to be something special. Patty Jenkins, like, I mean, Wonder Woman was something special. Yeah. Um, and so when you come around to, you know, like the studio and the the entire team being all, all, all in on your film with Hamada being like, you know, go off, Patty, I'm excited. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, it's sad we're not getting any footage. I know. It, it, it that sucks, but I did uh, the poster design's great. There's also gave us a, the look at her brand new armor, which looks super rad. Uh, so I I really cannot wait for this movie. And uh, again, all faith in Patty Jenkins uh, for this movie. So we also got a report this week from The Wrap, which revealed that Brian Tyree Henry is in talks to join A Quiet Place 2, but there are no details on who he could play. He but he is the second new addition to the cast alongside Killian Murphy. So Josh. Brian Terry Henry, we're both big fans. We like. Uh, what do you want from him in this movie? I want. I, mean, I think I want him to be a dude, though, this time around. That's what I want. He's been doing roles, and now I'm ready for him to be like Brian Tyree Henry. Okay. You know what I mean? He's because he's. I don't know if he's like Paperboy, but a little more Paperboy, but a little more like who like who we see come out in interviews and things mm-hmm. like that, expressing himself. That that's what I'm ready for, um, because I think he's just someone that we can like. We we don't need him to be in a dark, hefty role. We can get him in just something light, and or you know, just a little more, um, a little more personable. But of course, he's gonna be quiet. So yeah, <laughs> it'll be even funnier to see all that in the way it expresses itself. Yeah, no, I mean, yeah, super excited for Brian uh, Tyree Henry to get this gig. I I would I don't know, I get that feeling that he's gonna be the villain, quote unquote, <laughs> of the film. Um, but we'll have to wait and see on that. And since it starts filming this fall or this summer, uh, it shouldn't hopefully be that long before we know some more details on the movie. Um, and then lastly here to wrap up this episode, uh, Deadline revealed this week that John Cena has officially joined the cast of Fast and Furious 9 after uh, previously being teased on Instagram by Vin Diesel. So he's in it, and uh, The Rock is not. So you lose one wrestler, take another one, put him in his place, and uh, we'll see how John Cena does. Yeah. That's all we can do. Yeah. I mean, not super excited for Fast 9 otherwise. I, it's just like it's one of those things where like we'll I'm, I'm waiting for it, but we'll see what it is when we get there. Justin Lin's last time directing was fun. And um, it, it just has his last time directing or his last time directing this franchise? Last time directing this franchise. That was what, Fast 6? The Fast and Furious? Yeah. Yeah. That had, yeah. The, weight, that had the weight of... Um, that that whole Letty, is she Letty, is she not Letty thing, right. I believe. And I hated that. <laughs> so, but, but anyway, we'll get to it when we get to it. But, um, you know. Oh, well. John Cena. 
yeah, John Cena is in it, so maybe that'll help out. Um, but next week we'll be back with a movie that does not have John Cena in it, but it does have Chris Hemsworth and Tessa Thompson in it, that being Men in Black International. So, Josh, what are you looking forward to from MIB International? Uh, just the dynamic between Tessa Thompson and um, Chris Hemsworth, because they're two very funny people that we got in Thor Ragnarok for the first time, and now they're colliding again. But Chris Hemsworth also has permission to be even, you know, to let off a little more steam and a little, little more um, of his personality mm-hmm. in ways we haven't been able to see like, you know, truly before. And so that's what I'm looking for right here. Yeah. Uh, I think it's definitely their chemistry. Uh, Liam Neeson's in there. Kumail's voicing a small little alien. Um, so I'm hoping uh, he does good work there. Gives us some nice comedic moments, yes. but uh, yeah, I mean, I have my fingers crossed this movie turns out good because I think the trailers have been okay, but that really blown us away. And uh, and just rewatching the first movie recently, uh, the Will Smith Tommy Lee Jones dynamic is just so perfect that uh, I really hope that Tessa and Chris can do the same thing here as they did in Ragnarok. Because if they can, even if maybe the script and the story isn't like that great, I think their chemistry can still elevate us beyond like, like okay, that was still really really fun. One hundred percent. So we'll also be back this week with a big question, just like last week. We don't know what it is yet, so stay tuned on Wednesday for uh, that big question. In the meantime, though, be sure to tell us your thoughts on everything covered by Set for the film. And you can follow me personally on Twitter at Louis Cooper. And you can get at me, Josh, at Juice Joshua Ryan. And if you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, share, retweet, and more. Plus, head over to iTunes and give us a five-star view with comments. Tell us why you enjoy listening to the show. Thanks again for tuning to the Defense Home Podcast. Josh, thank you for stopping in, everyone. And be sure to turn next week for our future episodes.